Good morning. Bonjour. Bonjourno. Bon dia. Bokertov. Good day. Okay. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 12, 2016. And today we'll be reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are currently in the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 22. We're going to be reading the first paragraph, um, three paragraphs, starting uh, with, let's see, the first paragraph, and then we go three paragraphs. Um, This morning, we have uh, our readers are Diane G. on the 12 steps. We have Nancy T. for the 12 traditions. And on the text, we have Deb W., Elizabeth S. and Martha Z. The uh, share ID for yesterday, which was Monday, January 11th, is 8373. That's 8373. Let's start with the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, the OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Let me please now ask uh, Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Diane? Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, a recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Larry, and I pass. Thanks, Diane. Um, and now if Nancy T, Nancy Terrific, will you read the 12 traditions? Good morning, Larry. This is Nancy T, uh, deeply grateful compulsive overeater for today in Vermont. Thanks for your service. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority of loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Eleven, <clears throat> our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. And twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Nancy, thank you so much. Um, okay, let me tell you how our meeting works, because we've we got to get that down here. First, our, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, and then we stop, and we share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep uh, the sharing to the topic and literature that we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing uh, what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute, and once you're done, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're gonna, we're gonna pick up our study of the big book. Um, again, we're in uh, the chapter, there, uh, 
there is a solution on page 22. We're going to start off on the first paragraph, starting with this is by no means. And Deb's going to read three paragraphs. So Deb W, please take it away. Thanks, Deb. Good morning, Larry. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Okay, great. This is Deb W, recovered compulsive eater from Oklahoma, <clears throat> just getting over a cold. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, as our behavior patterns vary. But this description should identify him roughly. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why, once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. And the, these paragraphs take me back to the doctor's opinion. Um, I, it's kind of hard not to read those without referring to the doctor's opinion, where it says, we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So, you know, this is my dilemma. You know, at some point, and I don't really exactly know when, uh, I lost the ability to control uh, my eating. You know, I lost the ability to, and I and at one time I had it. I remember at one time I had it. I always had that peculiar desire to uh, have food, even when I was little. I didn't have the body size, but I always was the one who stole the food out of the refrigerator between meals. I always was the one who sat longer than others at the table and just stopped by the store on my way to school and got felt a little bit more secure if I had candy uh, in my pocket. I was always the one that when things were tough, I really, you know, I would use, I'd go get something and have that warm, satisfied feeling when I had a full kitchen of uh, groceries. <laughs> I always was the one who had to have something beside me at my desk when I was working uh, to make it. You know, uh, and I was always the one who, that was always uncomfortable with life on life's terms. And at some point, some point, I, I, it just happened to me that I could no longer eat 
without uh, eating, without some craving, without, you know, the, the food desire to eat taking over me. And this is not only certain uh, binge foods. You know, over the years, the uh, craving, the, the uh, uh has gotten the phenomenon of craving had gotten worse to where if I, once I take a bite in the morning, if I don't have this spiritual awakening, if I haven't gone through the steps, if I don't work ten, eleven, and twelve every day, then I go right back. So I have crossed this place. I will never return to what things were like, and um, this is this is. This is the real for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Deb. Okay, so we're going to open it up to three-minute shares on what was read, and we're going to try to drag you out of the weeds. I double-dog dare you to, to come on out, out of the weeds there and share. So who would like Sally. to share? Sally. This is Bella. Can I share? Bella. Bella. B. Kim okay, here's who I have. All right, Kim, I got you. Let's hold it there for a moment. So I got, I got Sally. I have Abella. I have Matt. Um, I have Reva. No laughing there. I have Barbara, and I have Kim G. So let's start with Sally. Hey, Sally. Hey, Larry. Good morning. Good morning, Vision to you. It's Sally, recovered in South Jersey. So this morning we have uh, such a really rich reading. We have so much. And um, we have the riddle. We cannot answer the riddle. What's the riddle? The riddle was, why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle, I love the word debacle. It's almost like onomatopoeia. It sounds like choo-choo train, you know, like debacle. This is a debacle. With all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why does he start? And so we have this, we just finished looking at this, quote, not comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic. And we know that it's not about, what, it's not about the drink. It's not about the food that we're eating. It's about that first drink. Why would he take the first drink when he knows that it's going to lead to such a debacle? And I wanted to, this morning, um, because I really wanted to share yesterday as well on this subject, about this this not comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic. Um, what we were looking at yesterday that leads us to where we are today, and I think it's important for continuity to look at this, we saw that they were giving us aspects, and it's not just that, that we had our heads in the refrigerator door repeatedly throughout the day for every reason under the sun. It's that we were antisocial, we were told on page 21. How many people can identify with the fact that we were so antisocial? We were so isolative. I remember drawing the curtains in my living room on a beautiful sunny day because, well, I had my reasons, but I was, it was just an antisocial behavior that was going on. Number two, that we were at the, at the bottom of page 21, it talks about how he was perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he was incredibly dishonest, selfish, sneaky, risk-taking behaviors. It, re it reminds me of, of Bill when he was hiding his liquor all over the house and he was waiting for his wife to leave for work so he can have his, the party could begin, he could begin the party. And then at the bottom of page 21, it tells us about 
he is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. I was so lethargic. I was mildly lethargic constantly, but I was very lethargic when I was at the food, when I was binging on the food. I, I made myself so lethargic. It was just that whole numbing aspect. And that brings us to where we are now in the reading on page 22. This is by no means a comprehensive picture. The truth of the matter is I was impulsive. Can anyone identify with that? I was so impulsive and my impulsive nature was killing me. I was so undisciplined. The page 88 tells us how undisciplined we were. That's why we have to have these, this, this instruction manual has to be precise. In the forward, it uses the word precise, specifically on page 20, carefully on page 85, and, and 93 tell them exactly what happened to you. Why do we need us to be precise, specific, careful, and exact? Because we're so undisciplined and so impulsive. We need each other to slow down and share with each other exactly what happened so we could finally answer the riddle and get well. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thanks, Sally. Appreciate it. Now, this is Bella. She may share. Bella, you're up. Hey, thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Larry, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such beautiful, beautiful re reading today. Why does he behave like this? And yes, I am so familiar with this sentence because this is the way I live till I came to the program. And my life was a war. People put me all the time in competition or I put myself in competition. And I didn't want to be a loser. I wanted so much to be the winner. And, you know, I went... I, my life was directed by my ego. I thought that this is my power. And yes, my life was directed my, by my character defect. Yes, I was very selfish. I was very much people pleaser. And, you know, I was angry. I was angry. I was upset. I was disappointed. I was angry even at God. You know, I grew up with... God in life, but I was angry. I was in competition with God. I always ask why God doesn't help me. I wanted so much to keep my way down, but I couldn't. Why other people can? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. Today I know I am powerless. Today I am connected to an accepting, loving power. And... Yes, today I know I don't have power. I don't have power and it's nothing to do with my willpower. Yes, I have an allergy in the body. This is the way that God created me. And as soon as I put those alcoholic food for me, I have the obsession in the mind. Today, thank you God, I am not running away from myself. Today I am not in competition. Today, I learned to take responsibility on myself only. I am not afraid to meet myself. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Matt, what say you, Matt? Hi, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for your service, Larry. 
This is Matt M. from Pulse Lover Eater from New Jersey. Well, I really appreciate the first two shares from the line and the reader. Um, yeah, I really uh, heard what was just shared about not being in a competition. Man, I thought I had to do everything, you know, balls to the wall, everything out, you know, and I realized myself that I was really trying to impress really everybody else rather than really focus on what the program is about, you know. I thought I had to be the master of service, the one in control of everything, and you know, that was really just an excuse, you know, I was hiding behind all the service I was doing, I was hiding behind all, um, you know, the, my personality rather than focusing on what I needed to do, you know, um, life, this is not a race, but, you know, for me, um, you know, I am like a stage four, you know, alcoholic when it comes to food, you know, it really is, it, for me, it really is um, a race to save my life because this disease really is cunning, baffling, powerful, and, uh, you know, I was one of those people keep going back to the food, get abstinent for a few days, you know, uh, then um, get up again, blah, 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 one of those chronic relapsers. And uh, my sponsor, had, you know, had me do a writing based on this, you know, what happens to me when I go off into the food. And, you know, it, it's amazing, like, what came up, you know. Like the Jekyll and Hyde person, I resemble myself but little, you know. Um, for me, this is not just a disease of more. It's a, it's a disease of um, everything else goes to the wayside. You know, mentally, when I'm in the food, I don't give a damn to anybody else. I'm as selfish as they come. I always make everything about me when I'm talking to my sponsor or fellow OAs, not to mention my behavior is totally erratic. It's off the charts erratic. I have such bad mood swings that I don't even know, people won't even know which map they're going to get at any given moment. But for me, when I, when I put clear, concise boundaries around my food, I, have, I, I need that. I need that. If I, if, if I have the best sponsor in the world who takes the big book, who reads the big book to me, can quote big book slogans and everything to me, but if they don't take my food, I'm not, I'm, I, there's no amount of praying that's going to keep me absent on my own. I need to do the action and put the food down. And as people have shared before, that's just the beginning. You know, this is not a diet and calories club, but I have to put my alcoholic trigger foods down first. It's not about the food. It's what, it does, what the food does to me once it's in my body and how I react to it. You know, it really is like, like, like taking a drug, you know, or somebody else shares, like heroin. When I put that shot in my veins, I have no choice but to go back to the person I was years and years ago, somebody that I don't even like to be around, you know, in the rooms. And, um, yeah, and it really is. I am one of those people finally falling, was finally falling off the wagon, always looking for an excuse of why it happened to me. And I finally had to concede to my innermost self, that little child that we all have inside of us, that guess what, you have this problem, you know. There was some party that was in denial. And my sponsor, there's times when I want to just yell her out of the room when I'm on the phone with her, I want to hang up, but she hits that denial button in me. And you all know, we just want to rage out. You know, as someone shared a couple of days ago, the truth, the truth will set you free, but it'll piss you off first. You know, and that's so true with me, you know. And um, I'm very grateful that I have the ability to get um, the, what I need from my sponsor from the program because this program really is what's saving my life because I can, so I can eventually go out and help others once I get recovered. And with that, I will pass. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. Just a reminder to everyone, we're reading, uh, we have read the first three paragraphs on page uh, 22, and we're commenting on those, on those paragraphs. And now, Riva. Riva. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I so relate to the why questions. Um, before I came into program, my big 
quest was to figure out why I was doing what I was doing, whether it was through my own self-analysis or through self-help books or professionals or anybody who would listen. Because I assumed wrongly that if I could answer why, then I would have that solution and I would fix the problem. And it was as simple as that. And I never, ever could answer why questions. And for me, the why questions are really, really dangerous. They get me down a spiral of um, no end, no recovery in sight, because it doesn't really matter why. Um, I do this because I do this, um, because I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, the real question is, what am I going to do about it? And the title right above this paragraph is, there is a solution. And I need to focus on what actions I need to take for the solution. Um, I'm also um, you know, aware that in the doctor's opinion, it talks about the twofold nature of my illness. So if I've been abstinent and I get restless, irritable, and discontent and do not work the steps as laid out in this book, then I'll want to pick up again. So I know that. But why do I have this strange allergy that creates a phenomenon of craving that, you know, has certain trigger foods affect me the way they never affect the supposedly normal eaters out there? Um, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, And I love at the end, it says, we cannot answer the riddle So don't focus on that. Focus on what do I need to do to get well. And it's the same with everything else in my life. Why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to me? You know, self-pity, self-pity. What am I going to do about it? Because with the step work, I can match any calamity with serenity. I can um, match life on God's terms or life's terms. And I never, ever could do that um, before. With that, I pass. Thank you so much. And Barbara, Barbara, you're up. Thank you. This is Barbara B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts, currently in Florida, gratefully. Um, I've spent time this morning looking at those why questions, and it called back for me to that, that consistent and constant search the books, the therapies, the groups. And yet, as it says, you know, as I look at, was I a moderate drinker or a hard drinker? I can recall specific experiences in this pursuit of why, of being in a group of 20 people. And we explored with the, with the therapist the reasons for abusing food, for binging, despite all the sane reasons not to do it. And... 19 people made progress and one didn't, and that was me. I ate more because I couldn't bear to look at the things. So that was the end of that group. And yes, I didn't give up. There was a very well-known, internationally accepted author on food addiction, and she was going to be conducting a group. I went to great lengths every Thursday morning to drive a great distance to get to that group. And she said... If you can resolve this issue with your mother, you will not binge. And I looked on Thursday mornings 
and through the week at the issues with my mother. And it was so unbearable for me that I can remember binging all the way home because I couldn't bear to look at it unaided. The difference in giving up and saying, all right, I admit it. There it is. I don't know why. I can't figure it out. Experts can't figure it out. The being powerless and giving up and surrendering to these 12 steps changes it. It's like an early sponsor said, say, dear God, I resign. And that's the beginning, the essential beginning. So I'm very glad to look at the realities and deal with the reality of what is and not be able to get an answer to why and not think that's going to solve it for me. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. And Kim G, you're up. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Why can't he stay on the water wagon? You know, when I think of this, I think of um, a very popular thing in my area called relapse and recovery meetings. And we would talk about, you know, chronic relapsing and all these different things. But when someone, I started to study this book, specifically more about alcoholism, I had to recognize if I was just working a diet, a food plan, and going to meetings and then picking up and then going to meetings and then picking up and leaving the fellowship and coming back and trying to work a diet and picking up, that's not relapse and recovery. If recovery is the 12 steps and I'm not working the steps, then what I'm experiencing is actually the progression of the illness. So why can't I stay on the water wagon? Because my illness is progressing. And I like to think of it as page 30. It says, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. An alcoholic of my type so really, I think I would ask people who are coming back, you know, it's, it's New Year's resolution time. Those of you who are coming back to OA or those of you who are, who are um, saying, you know, I'm a chronic relapser, is look at it. Are you really just, is it really just the progression of the illness? Is it really that maybe when you first came into OA, the fellowship was enough and you could get abstinent for a certain period of time? And the next time you came back, you got abstinent for a less period of time? And the next time you came back, it was for a less period of time? I had to admit to myself that the fellowship is what I was working, not the program of recovery. I couldn't relapse from something I never did. You know, I remember in my 20s making a decision I couldn't diet anymore because dieting meant gaining weight. Because if I could hold it together for 20 pounds to lose, the spring back was 30 pounds. If the next time I could hold it together for 10 pounds, the spring back was was, uh, 15 pounds. So... You know, I want you to question yourself. Is your, is your game plan, is your recovery program just keeping on guard and willpower? If that's your game plan, you're not experiencing recovery. You're experiencing staying on the wagon and then going back to the food. Staying on the wagon and going back to the food. You know, we often hear that everything in OA is suggested. And the 12 steps of the program is suggested. But if you are an alcoholic of our type and you are attending a 12-step program, let me tell you, the 12 steps is the only suggestion that we have. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. 
Okay, let's uh, open it up for some more shares. Who would like to share? Monica. Tina M. Melissa C. Okay, so Renata. far I have Monica, Tina, Melissa, Renata. I missed somebody. Um, I missed somebody in between there. Who is that that I missed in between? Monica, Tina, Melissa, Renata. Vasa O. Vasa James. O. James. Roxanne B. Roxanne. Is it Roxanne? It's Russ Ann. R U S S A N N E. Oh, Russ Ann. You got one yeah. of those names, Rosanne. I do, okay. I do there. <laughs> All right, here's who we have. Let's go with that. So we have Monica, we have Tina, I see Melissa, I see Renata, Vasa, James, and Rosanne. Monica, Harmonica, let's start with you. <laughs> Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Good everyone. Morning. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So why does he behave like this? Um, in this sen- in this paragraph, we've got lots of sentences here, and what I'm getting out of this is powerlessness here. I'm seeing the powerlessness, and you know why can't he stop? Why didn't he stop? What is wrong with his mind? What's wrong with my mind? Lots of questions here. You know, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over the fact that I have an allergy. When I, that I, once I, you know, I can't, I can't stop eating. I'm powerless over the fact that I've got this alcoholic mind. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. I'm screwed. I don't see and I don't know what I do see and I know. And when I do know, I can't do anything about it. So that knowledge isn't the answer is what I'm getting at here. Knowledge isn't the answer. I read this book. I saw, aha, uh-huh, I have this allergy. Okay, I agree with that. I have an allergy. Certain foods I cannot eat, they send me off and I can't stop eating. And then it tells me I have this obsession of the mind. I got some quirky thing going on in my little brain there. Things aren't working right in this one particular area. Okay, I, I understand that on some level. Okay, so now I understand all this stuff. I'm going to be able to stop. But I don't. And why is that? Because I'm totally powerless over this. And what's, you know, I need a power greater than me. I need a higher power. I need to work these steps. And in working the steps, I got a higher power that was able to overrule this stuff, that was able to remove this obsession of the mind because all of my knowledge was absolutely um, useless and all my willpower and determination was absolutely useless against this obsession of the mind, this disease that I have. And the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, there's no need to try and answer the questions anymore because this is a program of action. And when Monica stopped going, why, 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 poor me, poor me, you know, poor me another something or other there, and started doing the work, I started getting results. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. And Tina, Tina, you're up. Tina, press star one. We can't hear you at the moment. And we really, really want to hear you. Can you hear me now, Larry? I can hear you, Tina. Thanks. Okay. Sorry. Uh, T 
Tina S. Compulsive Eater and Anorexic from Florida. And, you know, I, and so many people have already said it. And I was like, when Monica was sharing, I was like, ditto, ditto, ditto. And, you know, and it says, why does he behave like that? Like this, if hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle, fiasco, you know, and why does he take that one drink? You know, it tells us in the big book that we're maladjusted to life, and I was certainly maladjusted to life, and, you know, and just like everybody else has said, you know, it tells me on page 45, you know, um, I don't know that that's necessarily my opinion, because that's what the book tells me, that lack of power is my dilemma, and that I had to buy, find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. Doesn't doesn't say will help me, says which will solve my problem, and that's exactly what this book is about. You know, and if I really get that, because, you know, I say that for me, because, you know, as a compulsive eater and several other, I'm in several other programs, you know, I want to, you know, some days I get up and I'm running the show, so let me try this instead. And I've been there, done all that. That's exactly what this book is about. So, you know, I'm so grateful that I have an opportunity. And, and you know, and I also know, and I say this for myself because of other people that I know that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does not have monopoly on compulsive eating and drunks. You know, um, you know, we don't have a monopoly on God. That's just the truth there. So some other people may do it some other way, but this is what works for me. So I'm very grateful that, you know, somebody has passed this along to me. So therefore, you know, I have the opportunity and responsibility to pass it on to, to others. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. And now we have Melissa. Melissa, you're up. Hi. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can, Melissa. Good morning. Okay. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I heard someone um, on the line not too long ago when the why question came up. Um, said something that's really had quite an impact on me and something I've thought a lot about, that when we um, ask why, very often what we're really saying is, I don't like this. And, you know, and I've thought about that in light of, like, you know, my children, you know, when they say, why do I have to do this? It's, what they're really saying is, I don't like this. And and that was very, for a very long time, that was my um, attitude towards this disease that I've had that I don't like this. And so my asking why, um, there was an immaturity to it. You know, it wasn't this uh, wonderful self-analysis and reflection that one would think. You know, it wasn't like um, why. It was, I don't, I don't want to have this. I don't want this problem. I wanted magic. You know, I wanted to be magically cured of the effects of my compulsive overeating. I didn't really want to be cured of the compulsive overeating. <laughs> I just didn't want the results of my compulsive overeating. And, um, you know, um, until the disease really just pounded on me. Um, and then my why, um, you know, I stopped caring why. I just wanted to have the solution. And so, you know, very often when I'm working with people, um, initially there's there's a lot of emphasis um, on trying to figure themselves out. And that's interesting. Um, but figuring myself out hasn't yielded me any results. You know, it's, um, it's just academic. It's not useful, really. And, um, you know, this disease makes no sense. 
the why, um, just in light of what the consequences of my eating have done, um, it makes no sense that I would continuously pick up, except that I have a disease and I'm powerless to it, and that's the why. That's all there is to it. That's all I need to focus on. That's all I need to worry about. Um, what I do need is to know that there's a solution, and it's not me. It's in the program. It's in the 12 steps. It's in finding a relationship with a higher power. And so when I work with people and they ask why too, you know, what I think too much, um, you know, my my advice or my suggestion is let's put that aside and let's look at um, – you know how we can how we can live with this disease of ours, and um, this gives me the blueprint for life. Thank you, with that, Pat. Thank you, Melissa. Now the spectacular Renata. Renata. Uh, hi, Larry. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G, recovered compulsive reader in New York. And, you know, the question why, right? And it, it made me think of uh, a story at the end of the book on page 338. And the answer is because I'm an alcoholic. In my case, because I'm a real compulsive reader. You know, and it says on the story, this drinker finally found the answer to her nagging question, why? And then it says things like, you know, I felt separate, like an outcast. And although I learned to go along with the cultural norm as I grew up, still, underneath, I felt different. Alcohol helped. In my case, food helped. It moved me outside. At least I thought it helped until I saw the oppressive 30-year shadow it cast on my life. You know, it moved me outside of the hole I felt in myself and lowered the wall I created between me and any person or situation that made me uncomfortable. And, you know, that that was my reality. That's why I ate, because I, I didn't know how to live life comfortably. So I started using food, but I abused it so much that I became a real compulsive eater, and then I crossed that line. And so, you know... And then on page 342, it says, why I drank, you know, why did I eat the way I ate? Why couldn't I stay stopped? Again, because I'm a real compulsive overeater, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then it says that, you know, I learned that compulsive overeating isn't a sin, it's a disease. But none of those answers changed my reality. You know, okay, I got the answer, why I can't stay stopped, why when I pick up something, I, you know, I have to eat until I'm physically sick, passing out, you know, so what am I going to do about that? And for me, you know, I was presented also with a solution that came from the same book that answered the question why I ate like that. And so what was I going to do about that? The big book's very clear that if I put down all my triggering substances and work the self set as if my life depends on it, I can be free of this, you know, mental obsession and not have that desire to pick up that first bite one day at a time. And so, you know, when I took action, then, you know, today by the grace of God, I'm free. I do not have to, to compulsively overeat. I can stay stop one day at a time. And uh, with that, I pray. Thank you so much, Renata. And Vasa, Vasa, you're up. Yes, good morning. 
everyone. Thank you, Larry, for your service, and I'm both a grateful recovered compulsive Vida calling from Florida, and it says, why can't he stay on the wagon again? Well, it's a cunning and baffling disease. I tried to figure that my whole life, and I thank God that I was brought into Overeaters Anonymous. I really... I really am so grateful to God that he brought me to the, you know, to the big book and the 12 steps and, you know, and going back to the, you know, I, I, when I read the doctor's opinion, I found out I have the allergy, that, the body allergy that uh, followed with the mental obsession if I put the, my alcoholic foods in, in my body. So I, you know, I, w- I was powerless, you know. I remember when I was like nine years, I don't know, 11 years old, whatever, I did steal money from my father's piggy bank, and I went to the candy store to buy candy. And, and I went back, and I went back and bought more, and I, it made me so sick into my stomach, and I put more. You know, I just couldn't believe it how sick it made me. So, you know, going back and looking at that, I said, that's the allergy. It made me so sick, and I needed to put those substances down that made me so sick, you know, and I would, that I was powerless over, and I tried to. I, had, I exhibit a lot of power in my life in other areas. I'm, I'm sorry, in, in other areas of my life, but when it came to the food, I couldn't. I needed to find a power than, greater than myself, which I call God, and and then just to surrender. You know, I know we're not yet there, but that's where I was. You know, I was ready to surrender to the program. I was ready to surrender to God, to the steps. I didn't want to die. I really didn't want to die. So it is a cunning and baffling disease. I don't know why, but I found why, and I found the solution. So... Uh, I'm not doing those things, so I don't have the mental obsession if I don't put those things in my body. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. And James, come on in, James. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everybody on the line. I just want to say I I really appreciate hearing all that has been shared. Um, Very encouraging, and uh, I just love the perspective and peripheral of of all that has been shared. I just I just want to look at the um, the read where it says um, why does he behave like this? Um, good question. I um, I just maybe share a story that may be similar to my own, but not necessarily my own. But um, have you ever noticed a child that has been abused? If you look at an abused child, you can always um, you can always recognize them by their actions, by the way they their lack of confidence. And I'm talking about a small child now. And and every time somebody around that child raises uh, raises their hand, that child flinches. And that flinching reaction is only a protection of knowing what's expected out of the abuse that that child is experiencing. And <clears throat> excuse me. And that's kind of like the way my life has been. Um, you know the you know I, I I've developed an incredible ability to forget to set aside and look past things that I know that, that, that may have once been beneficial, once have been successful, once have been the remedy, or whatever people have to say is the solution. 
because I've lived a life that's full of faking it and trying to look like others or trying to look normal while yet having these abuses actually dictate to me to some degree. So I flinch, and in my flinching I forget. I can set aside or I can look past things that have been really beneficial for me. And then those are all self you know, when I flinch, I'm protecting myself. And there comes a time and a point in our lives where we no longer are required to flinch, and that flinching continues to backfire, and it sets us for defeat, you know, out of a self-centered and, and a, a, I should say, a life that's been full of abuse. So I, I'm listening to the call, and I'm saying, wow, it's the question. I've always thought, you know, it's the question, Neo, it's the question. And the reality of it is the question is the answer, you know, that leads us to the solution. So I'll, you know, it may be worth repeating, I don't know, but here it is for those that may not have caught it, but the question is the answer, you know, that leads us to the solution. Um, it's a pattern, you know, it's a change pattern of thinking that brings us to our knees, that brings us to an answer, that brings us to a God, to a higher power, to an understanding that the life and our solution, I should say our solutions for our life, or why we flinch, or why we're forgetting, why we're acting, and all can all be set aside, all things and mechanisms that I've adopted to protect myself. Um, the wars now that go on between my head, the, the you know the daily wars, the daily affairs, the daily garbage, the things that I don't I don't even think about that go between the the spaces between the two temples. I'm fighting this fight in in a lot of various ways before I found the answer and the solution, and I've had my own remedies, my own explanations, and my own uh, explanations for all of it. But now that I've come to a place of being recovered, a place of being gr with gratitude and being satisfied in my recovery, there's a peace about it. And now the question is, where do we go from here? It's no longer a question of, you know, why am I flinching? Why am I protecting? Why am I covering up? Why am I hiding? Why am I isolating? Why am I not getting anywhere? Why am I not successful? in all the energy and the time I spent in whatever. <clears throat> the whatever is not the answer. There is an answer for all those that have, that have a need. There is an explanation for the problem and there is a solution. And I thank God for what this program has brought about through the program of action. I thank God for the opportunity of knowing some of you on this call, and I thank God for what it's meant to me personally. And with that, I pass. Charles H. Thanks, James. Hey, Charles, I hear you, but right now, Russan, don't put on the red light. Hey, Russan, you're up. <laughs> and then we got you, Charles. Russan? Russan, you got to uh, press star one, and then we can put on the red light. All right. Well, I'm here. Russan, can you hear me? Yeah, yes, thanks for I the song, Larry. Thank you. Um, and thank you for your service, Larry, for your lighthearted service, and thank you, everyone, for your shares. Uh, what I think about with this reading and the whole question of why are the dozens of years, literally decades, that I spent in really good therapeutic counsel, working with some really well-intentioned and talented people. And the question was, why do I overeat? Why am I attached to my fat? 
what is at the core? What do I need to understand to resolve this dilemma with food and my body? And I had heard some really wise things, like self-awareness is three-fourths of the solution. And if you can only learn to love yourself, you'll change your behavior. And it confused me. I worked so hard, and I had also been told that if I was only willing to work hard, I would achieve my goal. But that wasn't true in this case. I worked so hard to stop eating compulsively, to take the weight off and keep it off, and the hard work in that in that effort availed me nothing. I thought that what I needed to do was to build my self-esteem and that was going to be the solution. But instead, what I have found is the opposite. The solution for me is acceptance of my disease. In fact, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems. And not to, and not to build my personal power, but to admit my powerlessness. Now, to anyone who is a newcomer, this is going to be confusing, but all you need to know is that the people on this line and the first 100 who wrote the big book found a solution that works. And if you keep an open mind and you follow these instructions and you stay connected to the people in this fellowship, you'll find that it works for you too. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Rosanne. Hey, Charles, we got you. Let me uh, see who else. Let me see who else we can pick up here. Who else wants in on this? Rachel W. Leah. Leah. Got Rachel before that. Anybody else? Okay. Suji. Oh, Suji. Okay, let's go with that. So we got the Fab Four, starting with Charles. Charles, take it away. Thank you, Larry, for your service. I love your, I love your, uh, your light heart and your, you know, your character. I love it. So Charles Hi. H. A Re- <laughs> I love it. I love you, man. Charles H. A recovered visionary. Um, why does he behave like that? For me, um, why is a crooked letter? Why is also a crooked answer? And I'm a crooked individual. I got some questions for myself and and some people maybe on the line and and people you know in the in 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 the rooms. Why don't why don't why don't I take the solution? Why don't I sponsor people? Why don't I why why do I keep saying that I, I've been through the steps? Why 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 why? Um, why why don't I make myself available? Why do I why do I act like that? Why is crooked? Um, the solution is here. Um, I'm grateful to be a part of the solution. Um. Why, why, you know, I got one question. I'm going to shut up because I know we got a lot of people here. Why do we have people taking people through the ninth step and dropping them on their head? And why do we expect them to live in 10, 11, and 12 if we're not taking them through all the 12 steps? And with that, I'll pass. Why, why, why? Hey, Charles, thanks so much. Hey, you know what? I'm going to get fired here. Um, Rachel and Leah and Sue, I went over time here, so I would ask respectfully if you guys wouldn't mind hanging out for the next part of the meeting. So sorry. It's all new to me. Okay. Um, 
So let me pick up here and uh, you know, at the close here, thank you everyone who has shared. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. Uh, we're now going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Will, Elizabeth asks, would you be kind enough to read uh, uh, page 164? Sure, Larry. Can you hear me? I can. Thanks so much. Okay. My name is Elizabeth S. from Alberta, Canada. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.